I sense a moving of God's Spirit uh, today. Um, I really do. I, I, what an incredible start uh, this morning uh, in the, the song. Uh, let me tell you about my Jesus. It's a great way to start any service, right? Uh, that's great. But, uh, you know, last Sunday morning, uh, we had uh, just time of prayer, and folks came forward and, and shared in prayer. And um, I want to encourage you to open your heart to what God may be leading you and encouraging you to do. Uh, in, uh, in service. Open up. We have been closed too long. We've closed, I think, our hearts, our lives, our homes, uh, our arms. Uh, we need to open up more and, uh, and let God move in our life in a safe way, of course. But uh, uh, let me just encourage you on that and, uh, and throw that out there. Also, I want to mention, uh, you know, we just need to be aware of some things that are happening nationally and internationally. We have uh, some folks in our church that are involved in military service, and uh, there are obviously some movements that are happening there, so we want to uh, keep them in our prayers. We have those in, our, in the guard in our church, and some of them are being deployed uh, locally, uh, statewide. Uh, but uh, we ask you to keep them in our prayers. I know Jonah, uh, Dale, one of our young men who's serving, uh, could be looking at maybe being deployed uh, overseas. So we want to keep all those folks in our prayers and just lift them up. Today we begin a new series called After I Believe, and uh, we're going to jump into that here real quick. But let me ask you something. Have you ever thought about how similar that marriage and becoming a Christian are to one another? I mean, both of them are relationships that begin, initially begin, you meet someone, and then those relationships grow and expand. Both of them require a vow of commitment, probably the only two vows most of us will ever make in our lifetime. Both of them are intended to be until death do us part, and both of them began with two words. Marriage begins with I do, and Christianity begins with I believe. And on top of that, both of these relationships require a lot of work and effort in order to make them fulfillment, to make the commitment uh, after we commit, there's a lot that's required of us. Can you imagine getting married to someone and then putting forth zero effort to get to know that person better? never trying to grow any deeper in your relationship, never putting forth any effort to try to please that person or make them happy. Can you imagine what that marriage would look like? It would probably be pretty unfulfilling. It would be unsatisfying to both of you, and it would be boring, and it would probably end pretty quickly, right? Now, I want you to at the same time imagine and, and realize that many people put that same kind of effort into their spiritual life. Very little effort to work on their relationship with the Lord, any effort to, little effort to get to know God better. And predictably, their Christian life is either unfulfilling, unsatisfying, and in many cases, it may die pretty quickly. Now, what I've noticed through the years is that I don't think anyone begins their life with Christ in a, in a way that would lead to boredom or being unfulfilled. In fact, most people begin their walk with the Lord with a lot of excitement, a lot of energy, a lot of hope, a lot of uh, ambition, but many soon burn out and they fall away or they settle into a humdrum life, kind of a boring Christian life, an unfulfilling Christian life, uh, uh, believing but not really growing. So today we're going to begin a series talking about what happens after we believe, after we cross the line of faith, the line of believing, what comes next? And so in this series, we're going to be talking about how to grow in our faith. And it's going to be a short series. It's only about five weeks long, but there's going to be uh, some opportunities for you to know what happens after you believe, 
Also, there's going to be a, a perfect uh, um, solution for you if you're a new believer. How do you start your, your life in Christ? For people who are stuck at some point, because all of us kind of reach a point in our life where we maybe feel like we're not growing like we ought to, and there's even going to be some challenges for those giants of faith among us, people who have been believers all their life and are growing, but maybe need to kind of be reminded of the basics. So we're going to be talking about some movement, some things that will move us on our journey, we're talking about some spiritual habits, we're going to talk about some spiritual disciplines or ex- uh, uh, ex- exercises, whatever you want to call those, these things that we're talking about. And we're going to be talking about not just things to do, not just activities, because while service is important, there's a lot more to just serving, and there's a lot more to what, than what looks like on the outside. Spiritual activities are not the same thing as being spiritual. And I think sometimes we get caught up uh, in the church because we have this idea of, of engagement and involvement, which is important, but just looking and doing spiritual things doesn't necessarily mean that we're growing spiritually. You know, I'm reminded a lot of a, a guy I knew several years ago in another church, and guy came into the Christian life with a lot of hope and a lot of energy, and his, his passion was service. And so, uh, you know, he jumped into everything he could do. He led in service. Even as a young Christian, he was very engaging, engaged other people, and he was on fire with that. But unfortunately, he wasn't growing spiritually. And so the moral side of his life uh, kind of imploded, including his marriage and his testimony. And before long, he was gone. He burned out. So understand that just spiritual activity is not the same thing as being spiritual. We're going to talk about spiritual growth. And the heart of authentic Christian, uh, Christian spirituality is really relational. It is developing an intimacy with God that then results in an ongoing transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about just more than surface things. We're going to talk about deeper things in life. And, and as we jump in today, just kind of interrupt, introductory, and we're going to talk about some things not to do. You know, sometimes you understand what you can't do first, and then you understand what you're supposed to do. So we're going to take some time talking about what not to do and some misconceptions that, that people have. I know a lot of times that people enter into uh, a life with Christ, and they have some uh, failure to understand. We don't really know what the commitment really means when we give our life to Christ. So I'm going to try to clear some of those things up this morning as we kind of begin uh, this series. We're going to look at some myths and deceptions that get in our way of our walk with the Lord. And a lot of people kind of begin their spiritual life, their Christian life, by thinking that there is a spiritual facet that they just need to add to the rest of their life. In other words, they have their work life and they have their home life and their hobby life and leisure life. And they begin to think, well, maybe I need to add a spiritual component to some of that. And so we're going to add a spiritual life, but your spiritual life is not a compartment of your life. It's not something you add on to the edge because most of our lives are already full. Instead, it is something that we learn to uh, incorporate into every aspect of our life. And that kind of keeps us on our walk. And, and there really is just life, and life is meant to live spiritually, to be lived spiritually. The reality is, is that we have a physical being and we have a spiritual being. We all know about the physical side. The spiritual is oftentimes neglected, overlooked, kind of ignored because it isn't as obvious as our physical bodies. But there is a spiritual component, and every aspect of our life needs to be infused with our faith. I like to say that being a Christian is not what you do, it's who you are. 
It's not just something you do on Sunday morning, not just something you do even if you have the discipline of sitting down reading your Bible. It is who you are and should be absorbed into every part of your life. And just appearing to be spiritual is not spirituality. So to kick off, let's look at a couple of the most deadly substitutions for real spirituality. The first one is religion. Religion. You know, every now and then somebody will say to me, well, I'm not a very religious person or I'm not big on religion. And I think I know what they mean. I think what they're trying to say is uh, don't really talk to me about anything uh, at all. But I, I think I know what they mean. But I want to tell them, you know, I don't, I'm not big on religion either. I, I don't like that as well. I think a lot of people mistake Christianity with religion, and they're not the same thing. They really aren't. Religion is thinking that when we go through certain religious rites, whenever we uh, go through rituals or membership processes or certain activities or we attend certain services or ceremonies, then we're being spiritual. But in reality, the name for that is not really religion. That is legalism. Legalism is putting a bunch of do's and don'ts and regulations in people's life that God doesn't put on us, but us implying those things and demanding that they follow these things. Uh, it's a religion of added rules and regulations and codes and conducts and, that are designed uh, to see who is and who isn't uh, being spiritual at the time. And it's also, unfortunately, a way that people are manipulated and sometimes leading to spiritual abuse. And it really ends up being very discouraging and very defeating for people when you lay this heavy burden on people. And then the best example of that's in the Bible with the religious leaders that Jesus came in contact with frequently, the, the people of his day that are oftentimes called the teachers of the law or the Pharisees. You know, I think the Pharisees actually began uh, the, their, uh, their group or their uh, uh, identity by, with some pretty probably uh, noble purposes in trying to really be who God called them to be. But unfortunately, sometimes when we try to do that in our own power, we end up exploding that and we end up you know, just becoming a force that, that isn't positive. And that's what, what became of the Pharisees. The Pharisees became very or were very proud of being religious and holy and being seen that way. So much of what they did was really to be seen. See, God had given his people the law of Moses, but they had taken the law and they reduced it to do's and don'ts. In fact, they had 247 commandments and 365 prohibitions. Now, that's a lot. It's a lot of rules right there. But the Pharisees felt like that the law wasn't complete enough, and so they added an additional 1,500 rules and laws and laid them on the people, not only the others, but upon themselves as well. So combined, there were over 200 rules, or excuse me, over 2,000 rules that, that, that they laid on the people. How in the world would you like to have that kind of burden placed on you? There were 2,000 rules you not only had to know, first of all, you had to learn them, and then you had to keep them. And so as a result of that, it was oppressive, and it really just choked out any kind of spirit, any kind of, any kind of effort that, that God might be having to break into someone's life was just overwhelmed by the laws and rules that they had laid on them. And you know what? There are believers and there are churches today who place uh, that kind of religiosity on people. And that leads to, as I said, to spiritual abuse. But you know, Christianity is not about re reducing life to rules and regulations. It's not just keeping the do's and don'ts. The Christian life is about a relationship, an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so religion can really get in the way. If anybody ever talks about religion, try to clarify what that is and that it's not Christianity. 
The second deception that people have today is knowledge. It's all about knowledge. And this is the idea that all you have to do is to know and believe the right things. That you just have head knowledge or you have uh, intellectual assent. That you embrace Christianity. That you believe that there is a God. Uh, and you know that, that he has a son named Jesus. And, and you believe all of these things. And you know that Jesus died for you. Well, that's a great start in life. But knowledge alone is meaningless. Knowledge, if not applied, really doesn't have a lot of value. I can believe in a lot of things, but that doesn't mean that those beliefs actually infect me or change my life. For example, let me give you a personal example, and this might hit some of you. Uh, But for years, several years, I have drunk Diet Coke. And I'm pretty convinced that they put something in Diet Coke that is addictive. I really believe that because I could drink three or four Diet Cokes a day, I mean, and just really put it down. Now, I've also known that the aspartame in Diet Coke is not good for you. You probably know that, right? In fact, numerous studies over the years have uh, uh, reported links between uh, diet soda and weight gain, strangely enough, diabetes, heart problems, kidney failure, depression, dementia, stroke, and other health issues. I don't want any of those things. Knowing all of that, I have still continued for several years drinking Diet Coke. But it was only when I decided that I was going to take that knowledge and act on it that I stopped drinking Diet Coke. And I'm four weeks clean. My Randy Nation, four weeks clean. Almost all pop. A little bit of Coke, but no, no diet stuff. Now, knowing something and acting on it are two opposite things, right? Knowing something doesn't help you unless you're acting on the knowledge. In fact, knowledge can even be detrimental to our spiritual life if we rely totally on our knowledge. You see, there are a lot of people who claim to believe in Jesus, but but true belief is more than just saying you accept the facts about who Jesus is. Believing is giving your life over to what you say you believe. Listen to what it says in James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say... You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Knowledge, even faith without action, James says, is dead. It has no power. It has no strength. So you see, religion and knowledge alone are both tools that Satan can use to either deceive us or maybe even drive us away from Jesus. There are people who, th- who know so much, even about the Bible. They know the Bible well. I've met these folks, they're really hard to talk to, that they don't have any room for God in their life because they know the Bible and they refute that. They use the Bible even against God. They don't know Jesus. So knowledge without deeds, without action, is worthless. So now let's look at some myths. Those are some deceptions. Let's look at some myths about life change. How does this happen? How do we, how do we uh, begin our journey? How do we grow spiritually? And here's a couple things that I think confuse people. The first one is the instantaneous myth. 
Now, you know, we all like things instant, right? Uh, in the mornings, I, I'm like everybody else. I wanna, I'm not a really a morning person necessarily. I do get up and go, uh, uh, you know, at a reasonable time, but I'm not really a morning person. I don't want to spend a lot of time on breakfast. And so I like, uh, I like a quick breakfast. I can make my breakfast in one minute. I know that because I eat instant oatmeal almost every morning, and it takes one minute to make. Sometime I add 30 seconds in there if I can get away with it because I, there's something better about it if it cooks another 30 seconds. But, but in a minute, I can have it in a cup ready to go out the door, and, and I, drink, I drink oatmeal like you all drink coffee, all right? So I like things quick like everybody else. And we live in an instant world where we want everything given to us right now. And you might expect that as soon as you enter into a relationship with Christ, that you're going to experience an immediate, substantial, in-depth change in your life, in your habits, in your attitudes, and in your character. Just add God, microwave, and voila, you have a spiritual life. Now, let me just say this. I know that there are people who, after giving their life to Christ, the moment they gave their life to Christ, they were released from bad habits and addictions. I don't doubt that. I believe that is true. God can do anything he wants. But I will say that for most people, deep change in their life that is lasting change does not easily happen and quickly happen the moment that your relationship with God begins. Now, the reason this myth is, is important uh, and is dangerous is because some people might think that Jesus didn't work for them. They gave their life to Christ, and then they go out and they encounter the same temptations or the same challenges, and they go, well, it might have worked for somebody else, but it doesn't work for me. It should have just happened instantly, or my life isn't changed. And they don't always feel any difference. They still have the same struggles in life, and they might give up. That's why it's a dangerous myth that we need to identify. In reality, whenever you begin a relationship with God, something does happen immediately, Something changes, some awesome things happen. And for example, your eternal destiny is changed at that moment when you give your life to Christ. Your priorities should be radically changed at that moment. You have a new life purpose. You have a new family. And you have the power of God in your life. A lot of things happening there. But it may not be an instant and total change in all of your life. And it may not be an instant connection with God at the deepest level. Rather, it's more the beginning of a relationship that you intentionally nurture and invest in over time to the degree that you pursue it. Let me just kind of clarify that. You know, maybe you met your spouse at some point and there wasn't a lot, there wasn't necessarily love at first sight. And it took a while to get to know them better before you realized that this was the person that you wanted to spend the rest of your life with. That may be how it is with God. You know this is the right thing, but you have to grow the, develop, grow the, the relationship, and then it matures. And then that last phrase, I think, is so important. It will grow to the degree that you pursue it. There are a lot of people who give their life to Christ and then leave him and, and just die, literally, spiritually, because they don't pursue anything else. And the degree to which we pursue a relationship with the Lord will be the degree to which we grow in the Lord. If you do nothing, the relationship can easily die. So instead of instantly changing everything that you would want in your life to change, maybe the process is more like getting yourself in shape physically. Maybe it's more like 
something happening over time as you change your diet and you exercise regularly, or maybe you don't like where your career is and you can't make an immediate change, but you get more education and then you grow into it and then you make a transition as you move ahead. So it's a lifestyle change over time. Colossians chapter 2 says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Notice something about that verse. It says it's a command that you have to obey, that it doesn't happen automatically, that you have to continue in Christ. You have to grow roots. You have to be built up. You have to grow in your faith, and you have to be thankful. These are all parts that we have to obey. So spirituality isn't something that automatically happens to you. It's something that you have to intentionally nurture in your life. You have to invest in that just as you would in a relationship. Giving your life to Christ is the beginning of the journey, and then you are responsible to grow. The second myth I want to just mention is the time myth, the time myth. Our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. So Christianity is a, a journey that you begin and continue, but the goal is not just to hang in there and endure. That is important, but it's not just to hang in to endure, it's to grow to become more like Jesus. And time alone isn't always going to do that. Just because you've been a Christian for 10 years doesn't mean that you've got 10 years of maturity in your life or 50 years of maturity. You know, it's kind of like your car. It's not just the years that count. It's also the miles that count. It's the investment that you're putting into your life. Let me give you another analogy of that. Almost 40 years ago, I played my first game of golf. 40 years ago when I was a young minister, I bought a cheap set of clubs at a yard sale, and a few friends and I who said they liked to golf, we went out, we knocked the ball around. We had a great time. We really did. Uh, at first, uh, you know, I improved. We played a couple times a week. I got a little better, and then I played less and less over time. I played one time in the last 25 years of golf, show you how my experience, one time. That was the first year I moved here, and a guy in the church asked me if I wanted to play golf, and I did, and he never asked again, and the word... <laughs> Evidently got out because nobody else has either, which is fine with me because I don't enjoy that. But if someone would say, hey, you know, Randy, you play golf, I'd say, I played golf for 40 years. I mean, that wouldn't be true either. And it would set me up to be a liar on the, on the golf course, and it wouldn't be honest. But even if I had played once a year for 40 years, I wouldn't be a good golfer. Even if I watched golf on TV, even if I... Um, you know, talk golf with people and everything, I would not be a good golfer. Simply being exposed to something has very little bearing on whether you are being very proficient at it. So in the same way, while your spirituality takes time, it is not a byproduct of time. You're not just going to absorb by osmosis, just being around Christians and not even just going to church. It takes not only time, it takes intentional effort so it's a myth to think that time's going to solve everything. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 5. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. So the writer says, I believe it to be Paul, said you ought to be at a point of spiritual maturity level where you're teaching other people and investing in others. And there are some of us who should be teachers by now with all the years and years of study that we have, but honestly, we still count ourselves to be students. Somebody said that Sunday school was the only school you never graduate from. 
And that isn't, shouldn't be funny, but it, it is a little bit, isn't it? We ought to grow up and mature to some level that we not only start seeking to be taught, but that we become teachers of others. Spiritual maturity takes advantage of the opportunity and the knowledge and time and then begins to invest it in others. Because I will tell you, when you get to the place where you start teaching others, you're going to learn a lot more. It's going to kind of uh, energize your spiritual development and your growth, investing in other people, not just in yourself. Another myth is the solo myth. The solo myth, and this is a personal relationship uh, with Jesus, means it's a private relationship. And this is a really dangerous one as well, to be honest with you. Anybody who is successful knows that we need other people in their life. You know, you don't do it alone. We all need people in our life to help us. I mean, think about it, Lone Ranger and Tonto, right? Batman and Robin, Laurel and Hardy, Pooh and Piglet, Andy and Barney, you get it, right? You know, you... There's duos, they're out there all the time. And yet, the reality is that a lot of Christians don't realize they need someone in their life to walk with them. I read a survey that said two-thirds of Christians don't think they need anyone in their life to help them walk with God. They can do it all alone. As a result of that, they don't communicate with other believers very well. They don't connect up. They're not engaged with other believers. And not only that, they don't share their faith with other people, and they don't uh, spread the word of uh, the, the love of Christ uh, as, as well. And the truth is that, however, that we just can't do it by ourselves. Proverbs 27 says, and as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And then Hebrews 10 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We need other people in our life. And there's some biblical examples of that, not only of fellowship, and Christian community, but also of mentoring and investing in others. For example, Moses and his father-in-law Jethro, who took him under his wing and said, let me tell you how to be a better godly leader. And then there was Elijah and Elisha, one older prophet who kind of mentored and then sent off this younger prophet, Elisha. There was Elizabeth and Mary, who she encouraged Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. There was Jesus and the 12 disciples specifically Peter, James, and John. And then later on, there was Paul and Timothy. The reality is that you really can't do it alone. You need the body of Christ. You need individuals in your life to help you spiritually mature. Someone said that we ought to all have a, uh, a, someone in our life like Paul, who's kind of older than us. We ought to have someone in our life, you know, kind of like Barnabas was and encouraged in our life. And then we need someone that we're kind of, that we're mentoring, someone maybe like Timothy, who was in Paul's life that we need people in our life that can help pull us and encourage us, but we also pull people along ourselves because we simply can't do it alone. And there's one more myth, and that is the myth of transformation. And this kind of goes back a little bit to the instantaneous this myth, but, but really this myth is, the, is saying that, that transformation is an achievement, that you flip the switch and it's on. But the truth is that spiritual maturity is a process, and it does take time. It really does. Remember, it is a journey. It's what I love about um, our mission and our name even, that the, the, the spiritual walk or the Christian life is a journey, and it's going to have its ups and downs. There's going to be times when you run a little bit faster and times when you slow down to rest. So there's going to be times of great growth, and there's going to be times of slower growth. But the important thing is that you keep growing and maturing. You keep moving forward. Sometimes you feel close to God. 
Sometimes you feel not so close to God, but your spiritual maturity is not going to be, be based on how you feel. It is based on who you are becoming. And I want to encourage you, stay the course. Keep on keeping on. That's what's important, that you just keep on keeping on that you're faithful. Because the real key in what the Bible teaches us and what we've keyed in on as a church is becoming a disciple. We want to be disciples who make disciples. That's what we're commanded to become and commanded to reproduce. And the word disciple basically means a learner, a learner, a follower of Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you're going to be a learner, and you're going to put forth the effort to learn and grow on your own. You know, sometimes people say, and, and you know, leaders of the church here, people complain, even leave a church, and they say, I'm not being fed. I'm not being fed. And the idea is that somebody needs to always tell me and teach me. And what that really means, though, is that they're not willing to learn and feed themselves. It's almost always said by someone who's been a Christian for several years and still expects to be bottle-fed and spoon-fed by somebody else. Don't ever say that. It's a very selfish and spiritually immature thing to say, to be honest with you. Because a true disciple is an active learner. They're not a passive listener. They understand that the public messages are oftentimes geared for younger believers or maybe even non-believers. And they understand that they ought to be feeding themselves and growing other people as well, not just being fed, but feeding other people. Because the burden of discipleship falls on the individual and not on the discipler. It doesn't fall on the church, it falls on the individual. Look at, look at Jesus' ministry. Jesus invited 12 men to come and be disciples, and all of them excelled and matured except one. That was Judas. Does that mean that Jesus was a failure in being a discipler? No, of course not. It means that Judas was the loser. He was the failure because he didn't take on the heart of Christ, and he didn't really come to know God. Here's the reality that growing spiritually is something that can and, be, and it can be aided by other people, but ultimately it must be owned personally by us. We can help you. We want to help you. We want to do everything we can. But understand that it kind of falls on your shoulders to grow. Too many followers of Christ view discipleship as something that's done to them and done for them. Almost like a personal trainer or a life coach moves into your life and tries to change you. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, it goes on to say that we must train ourselves. We train ourselves. We don't have to be trained by others. A challenge is for you to become an active, self-motivated, self-feeding learner. Which means, of course, that you're going to have to take a, a, a lifelong investment in your spiritual life. That you're going to have to grow in that. You're going to take, have to take advantage of any and all opportunities. Because nobody can do that for you. Nobody can bestow that upon you. Our responsibility as a church is to provide knowledge, to offer opportunities for growth, and provide support while we're still preaching the gospel to people who are not yet believers. If you wonder sometime why you hear a message geared to people who aren't believers yet, it's because those are the people who are in the most danger. Those of us who are in Christ, we are, we are growing. It's our job to remain safe in Him. But the reality is that those who are outside of Christ, they deserve most of the energy and attention because those who are in danger always take priority over those who are safe. That's what Jesus taught. And understand that those of us who are in need to take ownership of our maturing in Christ. 
And I believe that a person can become a Christian and never become a disciple, a true follower. And if that happens, I'm not sure how long you can remain a true Christian if you never become a discipler. Because it takes time to grow into that and grow through that. And that would be a tragedy. So the next few weeks, we're going to be taking some time to look at a few things that will set you up for spiritual success. It's going to be a four-week, four more weeks in this study. But along with that, we're going to give you an opportunity to do something that will be one of the keys to growing spiritually, and that is to be engaged in a smaller group. We're going to be offering a four-week small group study. We're going to have some, ask our current groups to, to study it, but also we're going to be offering opportunities for you to be engaged in a, in, a, in a group. We're going to start some new groups, and we'll tell you more about that as we move on. Uh, but if you want to be a part of that, uh, you can go to our website, journeyky.church, to connect at the top and the next steps, and there you can sign up uh, so that you would be able to be placed in a, in a group. And also, if you would like to be a part of that, come out this evening and there will be an opportunity for you to sign up for groups. Uh, we're, we'll tell you more about that as, as we wrap up. But here's the thing. Belief is where you start. Belief is where you start, but then we must, we must continue. We must act, first of all, on our faith, and then next we have to continue. And then we have to continue for a lifetime. Be consistent and be faithful. And I want to encourage you to look at your life and see how far you've come as a believer Don't see that as an end, but as a continuation toward your destination, which is heaven, which will be a lifetime.